0: Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love
1: sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their
0: journey from feeding tube to family table. Hello, and welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. And this week's episode, There's No Place Like Home. Today, we're gonna be talking about the wares of tube weaning, where you should be weaning, and the pros and cons of kind of different weaning locations and settings as you're kind of lining up to make these decisions. I'm Jenny, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Heidi. Hi there, Heidi.
1: Hey, Jenny. How are, How? are you guys?
0: We're good. We're doing good. all right. You know, this yeah. global pandemic thing is long. we have a microphone and I can see you and that's good um but yeah no we're doing we're doing really well so um our our topic is a little bit on point because like there's literally no place but home right now yeah but um but we just wanted to talk about like a very common question that we get from not just clients, but therapists that we come into contact with, doctors. which is, yeah, doctors, therapists, everybody wants to know like, where should kids be weaning? And the reason, um, well, the, obviously you can tell by the name that we really believe that most children should be weaned at home whenever possible. And the reason for that is there's multiple reasons for that. So what we thought might be helpful is to kind of go through the pros and cons of each location and then, um, break it down for you so that you can make a decision for yourself. Um, keeping in mind that like everybody's situation is different. So at Thrive, we do two different types of things. We wean kids remotely, um, over the phone or, which is a combination of phone and video conferencing work. We've always done it this way. It's not because of the coronavirus. Um, and then we wean kids intensively in their homes. We either travel to their homes or the family rents a home near us and we do the wean there. So in both of those scenarios, which the intensive the intensive version and the in-person version is much more um, common in the work that we do. But the reason, the common denominator among those two programs is home. And home is important for so many reasons, um, when it's possible. But the number one reason is that that's the environment that your kid's going to be eating in. (laughs) That's the actual environment. And when we add like an in-between location, then we have to deal with like your child's your child and your ability to generalize whatever you learned while weaning. Uh, Again, it's like an extra transition back to home. So if you wean somewhere else, um, you know, just adds an element of change that can be really hard.
1: And, you know, when we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail, I think, coming up, but we also want to make sure that the location that we choose is a neutral, you know, um, hospitals and clinics and places that are very fear-based for the kids are something that we have to undo and then come yeah. back in. So stress,
0: yeah, stress is like, that's kind of what comes up to mind. It's like stress Mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to cause stress in a family unit and then cause other problems. You know, like if we're, let's say you are able to master feeding in another setting. We don't want to master one thing and then cause stress in the family. I mean, it can be really hard on parents to be away from their loved ones, other children, if they're happening. I mean, just the stress that goes into that um, from a family member standpoint, like living in a hospital or taking children to hospitals and clinics, that can be really challenging um, emotionally, economically. (laughs)
1: So, um, so we're jumping right into the clinic yeah yeah a bit, right So, why don't we talk a little bit more about what that looks like why it gets chosen sometimes and maybe well I
0: think it's the most, most common topic. I mean I think it's kind of like the most traditional approach to tube weaning is that um if you've tried to wean with your doctor or like at home you've give you've given it a, a, sh- a real college try and you've talked to your medical team and your child hasn't weaned then the most traditional um Setting for actually weaning a child tends to be in kind of like an intensive feeding program, it might not be a weaning program. And those kind of take two shapes. The first is an outpatient setting where you go and you spend the majority of the day or a large part of the day in therapy, and then the the other being an inpatient where you're actually in the hospital and you, you, you and your child are sleeping in the hospital, or at least your child. And so Heidi, would you just talk a little bit about the downsides of, of those sure. two settings?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think one of the things to say about that is those are very rarely called tube weaning. Mm-hmm. Those are often, they are going to work on the feeding. They are called an intensive feeding program. Mm-hmm. And they're going to ramp up the feeding so that the tube can go away as um as they get the kids to eat more, they can take away some of the tube feeding is often the focus. <laughs> um, I've known many people who work there and they're, they're good, kind people who feel like they're doing a good job. Um, I think one of the things that's tricky about it is that they're missing some pieces often. Yeah. Um, one of the pieces that is missing is that it, it often starts with The kids in a room by themselves with the parents on the other side of the glass and a stranger feeding the child, not the the mom or dad. Um, They're working for external rewards um, because that gets quick results. And um, it's usually days or longer before the family is integrated into the program. And it's just not a natural environment. It's not family focused or child focused and it doesn't use internal motivators. Um, and, and you know they they tend to be advertised as eight weeks long, which is a really long period of time for a family to focus. To be away from home, to be in a clinic setting, on a yeah, whether daily basis.
0: it's whether they're sleeping there or not, it's still a really big mm-hmm. commitment, and they're not always in your community, so it often involves travel, which is really tricky, right? Um, but yeah, just to kind of like review, like you want, like the downside of the hospital is it's the it's not your house; it, it can be really mm-hmm. hard to overcome. There's often separation. There can inadvertently be more trauma associated mm-hmm. with that, and what we know from really years and years, decades and decades of research about the way to overcome feeding challenges and continue on into healthy lifelong relationships with food is that that internal drive that Heidi mentioned. And that those internal drives to eat are things like hunger, curiosity, pleasure, taste. Those Mm -hmm. things are internal drives to eat. Not praise or clapping or even though those are really done by loving people in loving ways, Mm -hmm. um, those also are external drives to eat. And then uh, the obvious one, rewards. And then the other, just to kind of reiterate something that you said that just is so important is that the family in those settings tends to be like tangential, like the extra, right? Like they're working with the child and then they add the family in later. Like they train the family about what worked. Well, what we know about kids learning to eat is that they learn most like efficiently, effectively, and, you know, with the best quality when their families are around. And that's how we've all learned to eat is with right. our parents or caregivers, not in a clinic or a hospital.
1: And, you know, this is a bit tangential, and we've talked about it a lot in other episodes, but when the focus is the child and getting them to do more. It doesn't build in the autonomy that we're looking for. Yeah. And being in the child's own home where they're safe and they're comfortable and they've developed some skills on their own is very helpful um, in, in letting them feel more competent and confident. And it's harder for them to do that when they're in a, a neutral or even a, a hospital kind of space, which has carried for many kids, not happy memories.
0: Nor should so it, right? Like it's not a place yourself. you go to for like, I mean, yes, you can go and get your vaccines and have a checkup and stuff in a clinic or in a, doc, in a hospital. But generally we go there when something's wrong and that's not the message we're trying to send about food, right? For kids that have been too fed and don't know how to eat, we're trying to teach them that food is a natural part of life, right. that it's not work. And that can be really hard to overcome in a setting that feels institutional.
1: And to their credit, I mean, they do try, you know, the spaces I've seen are comfortable and safe and friendly and they're doing the best they can to make it a child friendly space. But it's still their space. It's still owned by them. They're still the ones in charge. And the child is not um, it's not a space that they can become competent and sort of feel confident in because it's not their space.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the reason why we hear a lot of families say, we went to this program, we did so well, and then we came home and slowly but surely it all fell apart. I think that's because of that, that it wasn't their natural environment. They didn't learn how to do it. It didn't build the parents' confidence and competence. And then also probably more than likely focused on the external drives to eat Mm -hmm. instead of the internal ones. Now there's some pros for clinics, right? Um, So like, we don't want to bash it completely though i think it's fair to say that we think that it's pretty rare that that's the best scenario some of the pros are it can feel really safe when you're scared about your child's health to have medical professionals around and so that's one of the reasons that we talk about preparing for a wean at home whether it be with a team like a team of weaning specialists like ourselves or um you know, tangentially kind of working with your medical team from afar, if it's your doctor or your feeding therapist that you see once a week. Um, It's important then, because we can't replace that completely, right? Like there's not a a vital monitor, you know, people monitoring your vital signs and, um, you know, that kind of innate feeling of expertise all around that comes with those white coats, um, it's really important then that we focus on the doctor conversations and the medical team, therapist, nutritionist conversations with your existing team ahead of time. It pays to do the work to build in safety parameters and communication channels ahead of a home wean so that you don't feel that kind of fear around, we don't have any support here. That's That's a really scary thing as a parent, to be trying it at home and going it alone. Um, and that's why I think some people choose the hospital. It just feels like, oh, they're going to take care of my baby. They're going to take care of of, of them. And, and that, of course, you know, is, is what at the end of the day, all of us ever want is for our kids to be safe and okay. And so just something to think about while um, it just may not be in your child's best interest to do it there. But you can take that element of safety and security that the medical setting gives you and work to establish it before you start weaning at home. Mm -hmm.
1: And, And I think one of the other things that can happen, you know, I talked about some negative energy, some bad memories that come with that. For some kids, it's just a neutral. Maybe the home has become, the home table has become a battleground. Sure. And it's nice to have a neutral, but I, you know, like you were talking about, how do you overcome that and do it at home is, you know, that's why we talk so much about taking a break. Give your child a break before you get started. Don't just jump from pressure into nothing. You know, they mm-hmm. need and expecting them to eat. They need a break. You yeah. need a break. And you can make your home neutral too. You don't have to go yeah. to a neutral place And
0: for that. even though it might feel like a ton of work in the beginning because it's really not working at home or else you wouldn't be listening to this podcast or considering a hospital based setting, um, you're going to have to overcome that at some point. And it's probably part of the solution. And so putting it off and going somewhere else and it thinking that that's going to, whatever you learn in a hospital is going to magically apply to home is hopeful thinking. And, but it, it often is not that seamless. It's often marked by a lot of stress. And so that's something we obviously want to minimize for people. Um, one of the other downsides that we forgot to talk about is just infection. You know, if they're going to be reducing your child's, um, tube delivered nutrition by any large amount, it can be stressful, plus the stress of just kind of being out of your normal routine. We are very careful when we wean kids at home or when we recommend that families wean kids at home without us there with their medical team's awareness. It's really important that we have a conversation about how can we keep kids safe and healthy um, during that period of time because illness inevitably for every kid, tube or no tube, um, it Throws a monkey wrench in in how we eat, so that's another thing to kind of keep in mind, especially during this time of kind of real concern about our health and safety um, in a, a number of settings, but especially in healthcare facilities. And so, just something to just something to kind of file away. So let's talk. Let's be fair and talk a little bit about some of the downsides of of home because it's not it's not just obviously um, an easy, easy process, or there wouldn't be a whole podcast (laughs) on this topic. But one of the downsides is, um, it is a lot of work to unravel what's happening around food at home for many, many people. And you have to face it head on at home. There's no way around it. And that can be really hard, that feeling of aloneness that hopefully you're going to overcome by building some consensus on your medical team. We did another episode that we'll link to in the story. um, I'm sorry, in the show notes that you can go back to and listen to about how to build a consensus with your medical team. Um, But also just um, it's a lot of work for a parent, it's a lot of reexamining what's going on. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of adjusting. It feels like a dance that doesn't end when it's happening. You know, it's, it is a dance and that sounds really nice, but when the dance is going on forever and you just want it there to be a straight line and a regimen, sometimes weaning at home. um, I think for, for, for long-term gain and the best long-term Outcomes can be really hard in the short term just because you're really forced to Mm -hmm. (laughs) confront every aspect of feeding and how it affects your family.
1: I think one of the things that's nice about the clinic setting that you would need to that's difficult for, for the home setting is that you can get away from it. You know, whether you're staying there residentially, the people leave the room. (laughs) You know, if you're going there every day, you get to come home and go back to your normal life. Um, And so when you're in a home setting, it's hard to shut the door on that. It's hard to walk away from it. And so you need to, even when we wean with kids, when we work with kids, there are times when we say, go to the mall, go to the park, go to the deck. Don't bring any food with you. (laughs) You need to build in those breaks. You need to build in the walk away when it's safe.
0: Yeah. What what Near that. Um, um, but, but yeah, that's so true, Heidi, because the, the tendency for many families, and for us as therapists, quite frankly, mm-hmm, is that when the pressure's on it and you're weaning, to be like, let's work on it all day long. Or, I heard them cry or whimper for a second or I heard a funny noise or they seem sleepy and attribute everything that's going on to the fact that you're doing this really big hard thing. You're trying to overcome this really big mountain. And so I just want it over. You do (laughs) want it over. And so sometimes you're thinking, I'll just push harder. And that's actually has the opposite effect when we try to work harder or more on the skills or the process it tends to backfire, and we tend to slow down the process. So, yeah, I think that that is something to keep in mind with the home base setting too. If you know it going into it, you can plan for it and have discussions with family members about it. So, when they see it or you see it, you can kind of help check mm-hmm. each other and um, bring bring yourselves back to where you need to be to kind of stay on track and know that it isn't it isn't um, it isn't a sprint. Right? Like we think about child development. Kids learn how to eat over a series of different textured foods over really the series a series of a couple of years. And we're not yeah. suggesting that weaning your child should take a couple of years, but it doesn't happen overnight. We have to they have to develop endurance and skill and, and more importantly than all of that, they have to develop comfort and trust. You have to develop the, the competence and knowledge as a parent who's gonna be a parent now instead of a two-fed kid with a rigid schedule of a non-tube bed kid Mm -hmm. with a schedule that's more kind of natural for the family. And And those are all big changes. Yeah,
1: they are. And I think, you know, there are some stories, some kids who seem to pick up the skills to eat quickly. You know, it seems like an over overnight change for some kids and, you know, many parents who are in groups and things hear those stories, but truthfully there is some, Work that continues to be done, whether it's obvious to you or not, and mm-hmm. so at home, it's sometimes hard to see those baby steps that they're building. Mm-hmm. It's hard, you know. And and in a the clinic, there's other people around to remind you yeah. of the baby steps that need to happen still.
0: And I like to remind people, it's hard to feed kids. Ask any parent of a of a child without a tube how the first couple months went with feeding most of the time you're going to be, or the first year, it's going to be like, it was crazy. Every time we got the hang of one thing, another thing fell apart or everything was always changing or learning to bottle or breastfeed. Like all of that stuff is, it's, it's ridden with difficulty and challenge. And so to expect tube weaning to be different is not realistic. Um, can it be supportive? Can it be loving? Can it be wonderfully successful? Totally. Just like feeding a kid without a tube. But it is always like all things parenting, challenging. And you have to have the long view or else you lose your way. And then the stress really starts to pile up. So I think um, just kind of knowing those things going in really does help.
1: And you know, so the home has both the positive and the negative of that. In some ways it's easy to have the long view when you're at home, especially if you have other kids, you know the trend and the range and you don't you're there to do things besides eating, so you mm-hmm. can have that break and go do some laundry, or <laughs> you yeah. can walk over and do something else. The hard thing is that you can also get micro-focused without somebody to pull you out of it. And so yeah. knowing those two pieces, knowing that you need to keep the long view, knowing that you need to give yourself some breaks, you can give yourself the benefits of an outside setting and yet still get the benefits of being in your home.
0: Yeah. And, and home is almost always best. Like we've talked about in, in many, many episodes. Um, we do believe firmly that investing your time and energy or having your therapist or whoever's on your side in all of this. Um, and if you don't have somebody doing, doing, you know, listening to some of the podcasts we did about how to overcome some of those divides in communication and knowledge, um, it, it is almost always in your child's best interest to have a really good dialogue and a plan for safety. Because then once you're, once you put that energy in, it does limit the stress during the wean a re a a really significant amount Mm -hmm. um and then we just didn't talk too much about the kind of middle ground um which is weaning with remote support and so like we mentioned we have a remote program so we don't remotely wean very many a large percentage of the kids that we work with only because the feedback we get from families and um And the work that, the reflection that we do clinically on the work that we do is just the majority of kids, if they've gotten to the point where they're calling a program, there's enough going on that complicates their relationship with food and their ability to relate to their body's um, way of feeling hunger and feeling safe and comfortable with food, plus all the components of skill and sensory processing and all of that, that more than likely an in-person wean is necessary. There are some kids and some families where the combination of those things feels um, doable, and we can do a remote wean. My suggestion is that I think there's also a lot of really kind of, uh, I'll go out on a limb here, Heidi, I don't know if you will, but I think there's also a lot of really dangerous kind of ways to do it. And and doing that without having the family at the focus, just like in the hospital, not having the parents coached into competency, not having the child's safety and the communication with the doctors at the forefront. If you don't have those things. I would probably not consider anything remote with somebody not in a room with you. Um, if you can achieve the safety parameters, if you can really make sure that whoever's working with you knows the about the long-term research about the internal drive to eat and how protective it is to our health and our relationship with food. Um, then I think maybe it's something that you could look into. Um, but we always recommend that with caution. And again, that has advantages, right? Like, <laughs> cost, time, <laughs> um, you know, the comfort, the adjustment of having a therapist in your house or being in a hospital, that's all minimized when you have remote support. One, another advantage of it is sometimes it can, when there's a person in the room, it changes what a kid does. And when we're not there, but we can see it on video, we can give a little bit of a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something to consider if you're considering a remote wean.
1: One of the ways we've gotten around so, so one of the downsides of a remote wean is that there's a lot of dynamics in between meals that are huge in, mm-hmm. in the interaction between parent and child. Totally. They're really big and it carries over into mealtimes. Any parent who's fed kids will tell you that there's, that meals aren't a pullout activity. You know, they are integrated. They are fully at the heart of all the family relationships. And so, Knowing what those, knowing the things that go on between the meals, is just as important as what goes on during the meals. So true. Um, so one of the ways that we've tried to minimize that when we do our remote weans is we have a considerable amount of parent training that goes on the front end, the same parent training that our in in person families get, um, and we've added in whenever possible some live observations of meals, not just video recorded ones. So we are with you sort of, um, so we can watch the meals and that allows us to see the lead up to the meals, how you get the kid in the chair, how you guys talk, you know, we may do some play observations to try and get around those other things.
0: And uh, listen, our remote weaning program is very successful, but we are very, we're very critical about who we allow to wean remotely just for safety um, and stress reasons. But, um, there are a few things that you can see, um, in video that you can't see in person that you get lost in the weeds, but for the majority of the time, the things that you're able to see when you're sitting in the room with somebody, the conversations you're able to have, the interaction you're able to observe between a parent and a child really makes a huge difference. And so mm-hmm. that's why we tend to go there more significantly, but not always um, than than the in person. So I think probably what makes the most sense is to just divert you guys' attention after this episode to the show notes. We'll go ahead and list some of the kind of key components of safety parameters, um, building a consensus with your medical team, um, and then just kind of keeping in mind those internal drives to eat, that they are super, super important and that you can't, you don't want to enroll in any program in any setting that ignores your child's internal drive to eat and and sacrifices that for external gain
1: or sacrifices your relationship with your child for a quick outcome yeah those are both foundational
0: yeah and we certainly don't want to be replacing stress or difficulty with stress and difficulty so if the tube is stressful and not where you want to be we don't want to choose a setting that causes a different kind it's you know we want to be moving forward across all areas So we hope that's helpful. We'll be back again next week and we look forward to talking to you then. If you liked what you heard today, go ahead and like us on um, whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and don't hesitate to give us um, a shout out or like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Hope all's well. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, we can be found at Thrive with Spectrum, and on Twitter you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.